0: is risen. He is risen indeed. The proper response is he is risen indeed. I'll do it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. That's what the apostles said when they saw um, the the two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus um, and they were very sad that day because they thought that Jesus was going to do this and that. And they did see him on the road. And they were so enamored by the fact that they met the resurrected Christ walking on the road. And he acted as if he was going to continue on walking down that road. And they said, Lo, stay in. Come, come into the place where we're staying. They were about seven miles outside of Jerusalem, the Bible says. This is in the Gospel of John. And they, he said, Stay with us. So he invited them into the inn that they were staying at. And they were having dinner. And they broke bread, and all of a sudden their eyes were open, and they realized there was the resurrected Christ. And they saw him, and he said he vanished in their midst because he had a glorified, a new body. And we'll we'll talk about this later. And so these guys were so excited that they walked all the way back seven miles in the dark to Jerusalem to tell the other um, disciples or the apostles. And when they came in, they said, He is risen. He has risen indeed, that it wasn't a story, that this was real, real life. This really happened. And that has a bearing on everybody here. And um, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day that you have made. Um, This is a glorious day. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in our midst. I thank you for the word of testimony. I thank you for the praise and worship this morning. That We pray that it was a blessing in your ears. I uh, thank you for filling this place up with souls this morning. I pray, Lord, that I could step away, uh, my flesh would step out of the way, and that I could yield my heart and my spirit to deliver the message that you desire for this congregation this morning, your body. And um, I just thank you, Lord, for this glorious day that we celebrate your resurrection. And we give you all the praise. Amen. <coughs> Amen. You know, we're, we're Americans. We live in America. And, you know, America would be um, tagged as a Christian nation. And yet, um, how many of us... Uh, Or Americans really know what the Bible has to say. You know, we actually um, sometimes are maybe ignorant because we just never heard it before. You know, Uh, a lot of times when you want to share your faith with somebody, you ask them, Do you know Jesus? And automatically it's like, Well, I live in America, of course I know Jesus. But that's really not the right question to the, the the right question to ask somebody. The question to ask somebody: Did you ever hear the gospel? And a lot of times, people kind of look at you. Um, on, you know, if they're a believer, they'll know the gospel. But those who don't know um, the gospel will kind of give you that puzzled look. And our, you know, last week we talked on. Um, Last week, Sunday, it was the celebration of Palm Sunday, and we talked about the Passion Week and those things that happened during that time between his triumphal entry and the crucifixion. And how could history or how could people be so fickle that one day they're hailing him as Hosanna, Save Us Now, the Messiah, writing in to save his people coming into Jerusalem gonna throw off the yoke of bondage from the Romans. And then a few days later, he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and they're determining whether or not to release him or crucify him. And the crowd was screaming, crucify him. And we looked at that, and we saw the commitment of Jesus on that historical event that took place. Some people say, well, you, Jesus never really existed. There's more evidence for Jesus existing than any other person that's walked this earth. There's so many outside sources besides the Bible that identify that there was a person named Jesus of Nazareth who walked the earth and who died. And we take that uh, information that by faith, and if you dissect it, you can come up with the conclusion that this really happened. Because people aren't going to die for a lie, and most of his disciples ended up being martyred for this story. The gospel message. Jesus came for this very purpose that that's why he came. He came to die and to give his life a ransom for us. He died in our place. He died the death that was due to us so that he could confer eternal life upon each one of us, and we received that by faith. I want to go to 1 uh, Corinthians and starting off. And the gospel is, uh, is actually three parts. Are three parts of the story. And if you look in the Bible, you can find this. These three elements are normally there when the sharing of this story is, is told in the book of Acts or other places where this is being discussed. If we would go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to cover this. And this is Paul writing from 1 Corinthians, writing to the uh, Corinth, uh, church in Corinth. And he writes in chapter 15. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare, declare to you the gospel. Translated, the gospel means good news. This is a good message of good news. Which I preached to you, which also received, and which you stand. By which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, That which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, and then by the twelve, and after he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep or have died. After that, he was seen by James, which is the brother of Christ, the half-brother of Christ, and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me, also one born out of due time, speaking of Paul, who was a persecutor of the church and had an encounter with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And he knocked him off his horse, and he, his eyes were opened up, and he saw the resurrection. The very person, the enemy of this message, the enemy of the young church, the enemy of, he called it, a sect that was growing and was threatening um, the, the preeminence of the Jewish um, belief system, that they actually had crucified their Messiah. And Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, and he became one of the major advocates who wrote a lot of the New Testament, the epistles. He became a radical um, purveyor or a, a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see in here the three elements, and they are the gospel is basically the death, The burial, which I find interesting that that's a detail that's a part of that. And the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week we uh, left the story with Jesus having that mock trial, being crucified, being on the cross. There was a great earthquake. The sky was blackened from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock. I would think that this would be enough if anybody was doubting to say there's something special about this person. It says at that point when he cried out his last cry, he said it's, it's, uh, it is finished or tetelestai, which means it's been paid in full. It says the veil in the temple, which is about a 40 foot high uh, curtain that was from rent or ripped from top to bottom. And it opened up that place that was sealed off. The Holy of Holies, where the high priest only went once a year with the blood of an animal. And it was opened up showing that this was the sacrifice. This was the the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So at that point, I want to go to um, the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at this story as it it evolves here. Or as it took place nearly 2,000 years ago. Um, Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read from verse 44 of the 23rd chapter. It says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So the sixth hour in the Bible would be 12 o'clock, and to the ninth hour is three o'clock. So three hours. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out, with a loud voice, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You remember Jesus says that nobody takes my life. God the Father has given me the power to lay it down and to take it up again. So he, at this point, he cried out and he dismissed his spirit into the presence of his Father. Having said this, he breathed his last. So the centurion saw what happened and glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. So it was acknowledged by the centurion. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So there was witnesses from his party, but even those who had mocked him uh, before this, who were jeering at him, he says, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. If he comes down from the cross, we'll believe that he's the Messiah. And when they saw the sun get darkened and there was a great earthquake and the rocks were split and the graves were opened, it says. And these people left. They walked away and they were beating their breasts. They were hitting their, their chests like this. And they were considering we did, a, we did something bad here. This was not right. We crucified an innocent man. Now it goes on, it says in verse 50, it says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph a council member, a good and just man, and he had, consented, he had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This is one of the persons that uh, was in the Council of the Seventy. He was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, and he was from Arimathea, and it says that he was a rich man. He had a lot of money, and he was going to play a part in this story. He was going to fulfill prophecy, and he said he didn't consent to this decision about crucifying Christ he was opposed to this, as well as Nicodemus, the one who visited visited Jesus at night in chapter three of the gospel of John. He came and he wanted to know, he goes, how is it that you are able to do these things, you have to have God's blessing in order for you to be doing the miracles you're doing. You're you're bringing sight to the blind, you're doing these tremendous miracles, God must be with you. And he wanted to know, and he went to Jesus, and he asked these questions, and he was puzzling over this, and he was a seeker of truth, as well as uh, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. The reason why that detail is important is because it was prophetic, that this person would open up his tomb open up the uh, grave that was prepared for him he was a rich man and he had this sepulcher prepared for himself but he was going to let Jesus use it because it wasn't going to be used very long nobody knew that at the time and he went to Pilate verse 52 and asked for the body of Jesus and when he took it down he wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock there was no one that had ever lain before The day was the preparation the Sabbath drew near. You know this uh, this past Friday we celebrate traditionally a good Friday was the day that Christ was crucified or that's what church tradition says but that doesn't square with the account. That doesn't that doesn't line up because Jesus said or he said that I'm giving you the sign of um no, um, Jonah, Jonah, the prophet that I'm going to be in the grave three days and three nights, just as, um, or Jonah was in the well, uh, the belly of the well for three days and three nights. The son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. It's the only sign that you're going to receive. And Jesus fulfilled that sign, and it was actually three whole days and three whole nights. Some people want to try to make it because they said that the Sabbath was the next day, but because it was the Passover, that was considered a Sabbath, and then there was a gap, and the Sabbath is always Saturday. So this, this can be reconciled. I saw a really good presentation of this on, um, you know, somebody put it out there, and because the Jews reckon their days different than, they, than what we do, they reckon a new day is at sunset. So um, sunset on Friday would be actually Saturday. As far as they 're concerned, so when you go through all this and you look at it detailed, you can make sense of it that Jesus was actually three days and three nights, and he was not crucified on Friday. it just doesn 't square it doesn 't line up and there 's a lot of people that that make a case about their people of the enemies of the cross, they even go against it. he wasn 't in the ground three days and three nights, like the scripture says, but if you know what the scriptures are saying, then you can through the the account that was given, we will know that he was buried for three days and three nights. It says that um, in 54, the day of preparation of the Sabbath drew near and the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So these women that were following him, there were several of them that came from Galilee. And in fact, they uh, ministered to the Lord out of their substance. They actually would pay for his ministry. And these women were Mary Magdalene, who the Lord had cast out seven demons. This was the first person that went to the tomb early on Sunday morning. That she was the one. And it was the other Mary, who was the mother of James. James and Salome, which was a person who came down with them also. So it was the women. The men were, like what we said, the men were cowering. They were fearing for their lives because Jesus had been crucified, and they ran when Jesus, it says, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and it's exactly what happened. They took off, and they were fearing for their lives during this three days and three nights of um, him being in the, in, the, in the ground. And so, you know, there was a there was a prophecy in Isaiah 53 that Isaiah's ministry was in 740 to 680 B.C., so close to, we'll just say, 650 years before this event was written. And it says this, it says, he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Um, This scripture was fulfilled when Christ had a place, that sepulcher that was hewn, that was carved out of the rock, and there was a great stone that was rolled in front of them. They laid Jesus' body in there, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and they had to do it quickly because they had to be done with whatever they were doing before sundown because it was a Sabbath. And so they wrapped him in a linen cloth and they put something over his head, like a head covering over him. And they put him in the in the grave and the women were, were thinking, we bought these other spices and we wanted to really prepare this body. They said they wrapped him up, but they wanted to go back and do some more to that, which was the tradition of the burial for the Jews. They would put these spices because over there they didn't have embalming like what we had. And if the body, as it starts to decompose, there's a smell. And so these spices would, would kind of... Um, would uh, cover that, and that's what their intention was. So they, they didn't have enough time because the sun was going down. They rushed the thing, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus rushed it, put him in there, sealed the, 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 um, the tomb with a stone. Now, in the meantime, the rulers of the Jews went to Pontius Pilate and said, we heard this deceiver, they called Jesus a deceiver, we heard him say that after three days he's going to resurrect. And we better post a guard over there. You better go post a guard over This is Matthew 26. And and, and in order to secure this grave as much as possible. So they sent a detachment of Roman soldiers over there to go watch. Because he says if his disciples come and steal the body, it's going to be worse than before this. And so he said a detachment, he said it was about four uh, Roman guards that were stationed there, and every three hours they would be changed. The new three, uh, four guards would come in and watch the tomb. And not only that, they said they sealed the tomb. And so it says that they took a rope, and they, they ran it across the stone, and they got a clay sealed, and they embossed it. They pushed it on there with a, with a probably Pontius Pilate's seal, that if anybody breaks this seal, they'll be punishable by death. And so they, were, they had a contingent of guard there, day and night, day and night, day and night, watching this for three days. At sunset on Saturday, as the sun was going down, which would reckon a new day, at that point there was another earthquake. And an angel showed up, and he came down, and he moved away the stone, and these guards, they fled. They fled in terror. And sometime during that era, that, that time of the night, Jesus went out of the grave... And in the early morning, Mary Magdalene went to the site of the grave, all excited. That's why they have sunrise services now. Early on Sunday morning, on the first day of the week, um, she went there with the spices, not thinking Jesus was going to be res- resurrected, thinking that I'm going to go over there. And the thought came to her mind, who's going to move away the stone? This is a big stone. This is an obstacle. And so in verse, or, or chapter 24 of Luke's gospel... Well, let me, let me finish this. Let's go to John's Gospel. They're, they're all, you know, these are different views. Some people say, well, how come some people say that there was one angel and some people say there was two angels? And I read a book on that talking about an eyewitness account. If you ever saw somebody have a traffic accident and you were a witness to that event, those stories most likely are not going to line up 100% because there's different perspectives. I was here at this time, and this is what I saw from my perspective. This person is over here, they saw this from their perspective, and there's details that jump out in our mind. I would say that gives this story more credibility than if everybody was in lockstep with everybody, and everybody's story was exactly the same. It looked like they just wrote down something. Okay, this is what happened. You just kind of put that in your own. It's a more credible evidence that people had a different view of what was going on there. And so if you ever come across those, deviations in there. Keep that in mind. Um, chapter 20 of John's gospel, it says this, now on the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday. That's why we worship the Lord on Sunday. That was the day that he resurrected. That was the day that we recognized his resurrection. And uh, it says, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came uh, to Simon, which is Peter, and the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have uh, laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So Peter and the other disciple is John. He's the one who wrote this gospel, and it's not, in, in Bible terms, it's not good to be a self-witness. So he says, the other disciple, And you not use his name, but in another point he says, the, the other disciple whom the Lord loved. He seemed like he had a really intimate relationship with Jesus, and he calls himself the other disciples. We're going to the the tomb so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first we know that John is younger than Peter and it seems like the old man couldn't keep up with the young man and John came to to the tomb first but Peter as it's his style and stooping down and looking in he saw the linen clothes lying there yet he did not go in so John beats him to the tomb, and he goes in there, and he sticks his head in, and he's looking. He goes, wow, I don't see the body of Christ. But he says this, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And it sounds just like Peter. He says, boom, he's going in. Peter, I mean, uh, John was kind of waiting for him. He came to the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and a handkerchief would have been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. And the other disciple, which is John, who came to the tomb first, went in also and saw and believed. He's the first one who saw and believed. At this point, they were still in confusion. What happened here? Where's Jesus? Where did they take the body? But this is an amazing evidence that when they went into the tomb, they saw those grave clothes. And it was almost, when you hear the story about Lazarus, you remember when he was before this, the, the chapters before this, that Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his good friend. Resurrect, he, his, uh, his sisters were saying, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have done something. If you would have been here a little bit earlier, you could have done something. And he was groaning in his spirit. He goes, man, I intentionally stayed where I was because I wanted to show you the glory of God. And he went to, the, went to the tomb where Lazarus was, and he was in there four days, and they were objecting, no man, don't pull away the stone, because he's already decomposing. And he says, roll away the stone, and he spoke it. He says, Lazarus, come forth, and it says, Lazarus came stumbling out of the grave with his grave clothes. He was wrapped up like a mummy, and he says, unwrap him. And this man was resurrected to life. The difference between this resurrection and Jesus' resurrection, Lazarus died again. Jesus never died again. Jesus has a resurrected body. Jesus ascended into heaven with a glorified body. Amen. So we make that distinction. But the, the point I'm making is Lazarus was wrapped up like a mummy. And he said, Take, unwrap him and loose him. Now, Jesus was in that grave, and when they came in there, they saw the grave clothes just lying on the sepulcher. It wasn't thrown about, it was lying there. Did you guys ever see, I thought that was a good portrayal. The passion, the last scene, where Jesus is in the tomb. And all of a sudden, the light, the the, the stone is rolled back, and they show the the grave clothes. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody let the air out of it. It just kind of, it sinks down like that, and goes away. That's what happened. Jesus' body came out of the grave clothes, but it left the shell of the thing all folded there. Like it was a mummy, but nothing in the mummy. That in itself is a witness of the resurrection right there. They have, uh, now I don't, I'm not going to you know, make a, a doctrine over this, but they have a shroud of Turin that they claim that this is the image of Christ that was left on this linen cloth that was placed on his body. And it has, the, it has the wounds, all the, the, the nail marks on his hands, has the, the piercing on his head, the side. There's, there's residue on this. But there's an image that was left in there. And now we have the technology. They actually made a 3D image of the body that was laid in there. A 3D image through computer, um, you know, whatever, the technology that we have now. And it's called the Shroud of Turn. And it left an image there. And they say, how did this thing get on there? And they say, we don't know how they got on there. There's no way that we can reproduce that now. It's just on the very tips of the fiber on the outer edge of that, but it doesn't permeate. It's not like pigment that you, know, you painted on there that made this image. It's just very, very lightly. And we don't have the technology to reproduce something like this now. And they were wondering, what is this? They said, how would you reproduce an image like that? They said it was almost like there was a massive amount of energy that just, just blew like a lightning flash, and it left this imprint on that cloth. Now, I'm not going to say that's not in the scriptures. I mean, they're talking about grave clothes and this sort of thing. But this was a, a, a physical evidence that some people point to. It says this probably was the shroud that Jesus was wrapped in. But the fact that those grave clothes were there, and they weren't all unwrapped, and there was, there was, spice. they did still put some spices in there. The girls were going to come back. Mary and them were going to come back and do a better job with that. But you figure there would be spices all over the ground. There would, you know, if Jesus had to unwrap himself out of that, and it was left there. And they also said that the thing that was wrapped around his head was folded and put on the side. And I heard something recently, and they said that this was like a sign that if somebody who was of means, who was wealthy, was dining somewhere. And they used, they had a napkin, and if they were done with their meal, they would just take their napkin and just kind of toss it on the table. But the fact that it was folded like that and put on the side, it was a sign that I'm, I'm not done here yet, I will be back. That the thing was folded and left neatly placed. It was a sign that says, I will be back. Jesus promised that he would return again. He would, he promised that. And so, um, fulfilling of prophecy. Verse 35, it says, oh wait, excuse me. Where did I left off here? Yeah, John. It says, verse 9, it says, For as he did not know the scripture that he first that he must rise again from the dead, and the disciples went away again to their own homes. You know, there's several times where Jesus mentioned the fact that he was going to die for the sin. He says, You know, he, the, the, probably the first place that I noticed that that was at was in uh, John, six, I mean, Matthew 16. And, It was when Jesus asked Peter who men say that he was and I'm just going to read this real quick this is in the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus came to uh, verse 13 it says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I the Son of Man am so they said some say John the Baptist Some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to them, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So a revelation from Peter, but then it goes on. From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Once again, the gospel right there. So it's a, uh, he's telling them this and there's several places where he's telling them this and he's telling them this and he's telling them this over and over. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that you shall not, this shall not happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter loved the Lord so much that he says, Man, you're not, I'm not going to allow that to happen to you. You're not going to go, and you're not going to be mistreated, and they're not going to crucify you, and you're not going to die. And he didn't understand. But Jesus was telling them at several times where he tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to they're accuse me falsely, they're going to beat me, they're going to spit on me, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, and I'm going to be crucified. And it's, it's like, and, and on the third day, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. It's all there, but it seems like their hearing wasn't picking up on that because they didn't want to hear it. Right? Before this, you know, this this, um, Resurrection Sunday, we've been talking about the things that we think that we hear, but do we hear properly? This was an event of that measure that they were hearing this, they were hearing this, but they weren't really hearing it. Even the women, they were, I'm sure that they were talking about these things, you know, and and they're like, well, we don't really want to hear that. And they're there early in the morning. They weren't going to see the empty tomb. They came with spices to prepare to go anoint the body once again. Nobody had faith. The one who had faith first was John, the apostle. He says he saw the clothes there and he believed. He saw it and he was like, whoa, he really is back from the dead. And so this story goes on. In verse 11 of chapter 20, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said uh, to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, She turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener said to him sir if you have carried away uh, him away tell me where have you lain him and I will take him away and Jesus said to her Mary and she turned and said to him Rabboni which is to say teacher Jesus said to her do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father but go to my brethren and say to them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God and Mary Manglin came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken her these things. Amazing. Amazing story right there that she's so so overwhelmed and she loved the Lord so much and she's crying and she's all you know heartbroken and you hear these stories because this kind of thing is so amazing that it's hard to believe. They're overwhelmed with these things. And so she sees him and she thinks it's the gardener. And when he spoke to her, she got the recognition. She realized that it was the Lord and she grabbed him and he says, don't cling on to me because I have not ascended yet. So he was going to go up, and at first said, when those three days where Jesus was in the tomb, that he was there, it says he first, he ascended first descended, he went into the lower parts of the earth, and he preached for three days. He wasn't beaten by the devil, he wasn't tortured by the devil, he didn't suffer in health, he suffered on the cross before. Once he died, he went down into, into Hades and we know from the luke's from luke's gospel there was compartments in the earth there's the the, the there's abraham's bosom those who had died in faith waiting for messiah that started the, the the wait for messiah began in the book of genesis and those who had died in faith were there and they could not go to heaven yet because christ had not paid the debt yet they were locked in the earth. The devil had commands. He had the keys of hell and death. The devil did. They were usurped from Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God. So that anybody who died at that time, good or bad, or those who died in faith, and those who were, were just a rebel against God, ended up in the heart of the earth. But there was two compartments in the book of Luke says. And it was, it was separated by a great chasm, and nobody could cross over to either side. Once you died, the judgment had been set. And we know where it talks about Lazarus. A different Lazarus died. And this is the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man went over to the other side. And he was in torment in the flame. And he says, tell Lazarus to come over and dip his finger in the water. And put a drop of water in my tongue. And Abraham said, no. You've had the good things in your life. And him the evil. and, And the judgment has been set. And this person said, Said, I have brothers at home, please let me go or let somebody go and preach to them. And they said this, uh, he said, if they will not listen to Moses or the prophets, they will not listen, even though somebody returned from the dead. Is the testimony so for our ears to hear this story and respond to this message and get a um, get an understanding of the gospel message and have it allow it to change our behavior and say whoa I gotta reconcile my life with this truth this is a real story this isn't a made-up story just like Peter says we haven't followed uh, fables we didn't make this story up but we actually we touch And we handled this word of life. We spent time with Jesus. We're not making this up. This is a true thing. And we need to reconcile our lives to this. This is the greatest story ever told. This is the greatest message ever told. This truth right here and what you do with this truth makes all the difference in the world. And not only in the world for eternity. What we do with this? We can discount it, say, well, "I don't believe that. that's that's just a myth." You can do that; that's up to you. But if you allow this story to go down into your spirit, and it has conception in you, a new birth takes place, and your life will never be the same. Amen. 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 This is the most, the most important, the most powerful, the most, um, the greatest day in history. Like we sing, "This is it, right here." This event that took place almost two thousand years ago. It says in the book of Hebrews, yet we don't see all things put in subjection under Christ just yet, but believe me, it's coming. I would say the other element that's not added to this last, the gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is the element of he's coming back again. And if you fulfilled all these other scriptures about his first coming, there's even more talking about when he comes back the second time. And we need to be positioned in ourselves with our hearts fixed upon that reality that this world is passing away and his kingdom is coming and we're waiting upon the consummation of what Jesus did for us here. It's the resurrection of our body. We're all going to share in this same kind of body that Jesus has. At this point, if we die, the spirit and the soul go to heaven. We don't have to go down into the heart of the earth. If you're apart from Christ, you're going into Hades. You're going into that compartment. God forbid. But those of us who are believers, it says that we ascend up and Paul had a vision of heaven, the third heaven. I was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in my body, I don't know. Whether it was out of my body, I don't know. But I saw things there and I heard things that are inexpressible. It's not even lawful for me to talk about it. But there's a a life beyond this body. This body is just a husk. It's just a shell. But when this body dies, there's another place that God has for us. There's a spiritual body, but there's also the consummation of what I'm talking about, the resurrection of our our body that makes this whole thing complete that we get a glorified body like Christ it's something we're still hoping for it says this in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 18 it says for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of god This is an event that hasn't happened yet. When we die, we we go to a funeral, we have faith that that person is in Christ. But we don't know until we step over to the other side. It says, but the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with burnt pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. This is something that is yet to happen. We have not yet attend, attained to a resurrected body like Christ, but we will. It's promised that we will. And there's a resurrection of the dead in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about that event that's going to take place. It says in verse 50 of chapter 15, it says, Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or all die, but we shall be changed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye at that last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this... Corruptible, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruption is put on incorruption, in and this mortal is put on immortality, then it is brought to pass saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? That's the ultimate consummation where death is swallowed up. In this reality, what we're speaking of, this is, we're, seeing, we're seeing the down payment of these things. And we're, if we're in Christ, we already own this, but we haven't seen the full consummation of it. It's coming. There's going to be a generation of people who never die. That sounds outrageous, but this is what this is speaking about. And there's other places in the Bible that talk about that. There's going to be a a generation of people who will be translated whole bodily, soul, and spirit into heaven, translated to meet the Lord in the air. That's the hope of the church, the glorious hope of the church. For now, people who die, if they've died before that event, that the body goes into the ground or wherever. Say if there's a cremation, the particles of the body get scattered on the earth. But when the Lord comes back for his church, when he comes back down to the earth, and there's a shout of a trumpet, and the, the voice of an archangel, and he says, come up hither. Whatever that was that constituted your DNA, or your structure, is going to be transformed to meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to have this glorified body, just like Jesus Christ he could walk through a building. They're in there. They're all gathered together and they're still afraid because they're like, what's going to happen to us? And all of a sudden, Jesus walks into the building and he says, shalom, peace to you. And they're like, whoa, and it's Jesus. And he they go, it's a spirit. He goes, I'm not a spirit. Feel me. And Thomas was there and he says, unless I see him, unless I can put my finger into the nail marks of his hand, unless I can put my hand in his side where they pierced him, I cannot believe this. And so Jesus came back and he says, here I am, Thomas, feel me, examine me. You want to put your hand in my side? Here I am. In fact, do you guys got anything to eat over here? A spirit doesn't eat. It was a tangible body. This is what's promised to us. This is our legacy. This is in Christ. This is promised. There is no uncertainty here. And this happened, and we can take this to the bank. This is better than taking it to the bank. I wouldn't trust the bank right now. (laughs) Amen? Amen? This is God's Word. God says this. And if we believe God, and we have a track record in history that says, this is what He said, this is what happened. Even as He was talking to His disciples, they couldn't conceive this. But now, they see the resurrected Christ, and they give their life for this. Because they go, this is real. Everybody needs to know this. Everybody needs to be a partaker of this. How does this affect us? 2,000 years. What difference does this make for us? Well, it says if we have faith in what I just said, we have faith in Jesus as what He said and what He did, that He paid the price for our sins. There is, the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one, except for Jesus. In the flesh, we are separated from God. Apart from Christ's sacrifice for us, there is a separation because we are not righteous enough. It says in the Word of God, you break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking them all. And you're separated. God's standard is 100% righteousness. Religion would say, well, I'm not as bad as this guy over here. I'm actually pretty good. But I wouldn't dare go before an absolutely holy God and says, I deserve to come into your presence because I did a pretty good job. Pretty good ain't going to make it. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And if we're in Christ, that's what God gives us. When we believe this message that I'm preaching right now, this is what the Bible says. This isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible says. And if we have faith in that, it says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Saved from what? save from eternal separation from a holy god save from damnation save from the fires of hell and a lot of people don't preach about hell but jesus preached a lot about hell and it's a real place and we don't want to go there amen Amen. and all we got to do is believe what i just preached do heard you heard the gospel this is the gospel i've seen people on their deathbed and you offer them this and it's like throwing a drowning man a life preserver We've seen it several times and they grab it and they grasp it and they've got tears and they go, I never heard this before. I never heard this is the message of the gospel that I'm giving you. That Jesus Christ took his righteousness and says, if you have faith in what I did, I paid a great, I, I paid a great price to have you come into my family if you believe in my righteousness. And we begin a walk of faith with him at that point. It's the beginning of that. It says, Paul says that, I have not attained yet this body of resurrection, but I walk on. I forget those things that are behind, and I reach forward to the high calling of Christ, forgetting the sins by past failures, even if it was yesterday. I bring it under the blood of Jesus, and we walk in union with Christ. Think about the people that met Christ at his resurrection. How would you feel to be Peter? that you denied your Lord, the close, one of the closest ones to Christ. And he comes over there and he doesn't slap him upside the head and say, Peter, you really blew it. He didn't do that. He gently restored him back to position. That's Jesus. He loves us and he paid a great price and he wants us to be partakers of eternal life. That's the message of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Psalm 1610, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or hell, the abode of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption fulfilled. Jesus came out of the grave. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He lives forevermore to make intercession for us to pray for us, to uh, pray for us in our weakness, to make intercession. He's our great high priest, like in the order of Melchizedek. He says that he partook of all the pains and all the sufferings here, all the temptations like we, but yet without sin. So he's able to sympathize with us in our weakened condition and intercede on our behalf. It's a great message of salvation. If God justifies us, who's going to say that we're not justified? All it takes is faith that says salvation is through faith in the grace of God. Not of works, because we would be proud and we'd boast. It's not of works. It's of faith that we latch onto this a confession of faith, a walk of faith, and a faith that produces tangible evidence. Our lives should reflect that. Does our conversation reflect that we say we're a Christian? Does, our, does our, the way that we conduct ourselves uh, convey the message that we're a Christian? I mean, where nobody's perfect, I'm not perfect, there's things where I still screw up, but I'm striving, I was like, man, I want to be a better reflection of you, Christ, I want to do things uh, that, would re- that would give you glory, that would elevate you, and that should be our walk, where a walk is not a marathon, it's not a sprint, but it's a consistent moving forward with the Lord. If these things pop up, and there should be a conviction of the Holy Spirit, deal with it. It says that if if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to have close communion with each one of us here. Amen.